Welcome to On The Scene Podcast. I'm Heather Harrison. And I'm Emma Dodson. And we're breaking down Mississippi's top headlines. We will bring you breaking news, pop culture, and hot takes. Coming from the desk of two Reflector editors, we'll share our favorite news of the week with you. We're On The Scene, reflecting on Mississippi's top stories. Hey guys! Welcome back. Today we are on the scene in the new year. So good to talk to you guys again. And we're actually together this time, so yes. that's great. <laughs> it is much better than doing it on WebEx, for sure, for sure. So this week, we are going to be talking about the IHL University President's Salary. So the IHL is the Institute of Higher Learning here in Mississippi, and basically they dictate the eight major universities in our state. So pretty much any of our colleges that say so-and-so university, there you go. We found this article by Molly Minta from Mississippi Today, and it basically is just talking about every salary of the IHL college presidents since 2008. The kind of inspiration for today's topic came from an idea for an opinion article that one of Emma's writers had. What was the idea behind that, if you kind of remember? Unfortunately, it didn't end up making it into like the print for anything. We actually had a kind of first draft of that, but there was just some fact checking that we kind of needed to make sure before you kind of go for higher ups in that type of situation. But it was basically just kind of talking about how administrators are paid a pretty high salary. And same with just like football coaches, yeah, yeah, people like that, and how that kind of discrepancy between higher ups and people that are actually doing a lot of the teaching like actual teachers and professors and just staff, that type of thing, and just the difference between all of that. Yeah, so today we're going to talk about this more in detail, and I have a lot of, well, first we're just going to talk about the salaries themselves, and then I'll kind of compare them along to professor salaries and then actual just like elementary and secondary teacher salaries. So first I'll go over the salaries. So in 2021, we have, I mean, obviously the highest since 2008 because that's kind of how like inflation and just like you get paid more every year hopefully or you know you want to and things like that and for the most part pretty much all these professors or pretty much all these presidents have gotten paid more each year so at the top are mark keenum msu president and glenn boyce ole miss president and they both make eight hundred thousand dollars a year which is a lot of money and then we also have Alcorn State and Mississippi University for Women, Felicia Nave and Nora Miller, they both make $250,000 a year, or for 2021 they did. And then we have University of Southern Mississippi, Rodney Bennett, he made $600,000. Mississippi Valley State University, Gerald Briggs made $235,000. Jackson State University President Thomas K. Hudson made $375,000. And lastly, Delta State University, William N. LaForge, he made $265,001. Why is there one dollar in there? I don't, I don't know. That's so specific. The foundation funds $50,001, so I guess that's why. So basically, you can kind of see, definitely with Ole Miss and MSU, even compared to the Southern Miss, $200,000. Like, that's a lot of money. Like, that's a huge difference between those two. So we have those salaries. And then if we scroll down to 2008, we can see a little bit of a different picture. So at the highest was Mississippi State University President Robert Fogelsong. He was uh, making $429,000. And then Ole Miss's president, Robert Kayette was making $426,300. At the time, USM, actually, President Martha Saunders was making $345,500, which is a lot closer to the salaries of Ole Miss and Mississippi State presidents than it is now. Hmm, I wonder what changed. <laughs> I know. Also, I've noticed a lot of changes in personnel, like presidents over the years, and MSU had a few, but not nearly as much as some of the other colleges. So I think that's also something to note, like stability, but also Ole Miss literally flip-flopped so many years I was looking, and they still got paid the same as Mark Keenum. So I wonder, like, why? I guess longevity has nothing to do with, like, what you're paying. Yeah, you would really think. So in the low end, in 2008, we have Mississippi Valley State President Roy Hudson, and he made $183,750. So all these people make a lot. Is what you're saying. Yeah, basically. So Even back in 2008. Oh, yeah. Something interesting to note, like I was just talking about, MSU and Ole Miss presidents received the same salaries in 2021, 2020, 2018, 2017, 2016, 2014, 2013, 2012, 2011, 2010, 2009. So that's a lot of similarities, 
even though there was personnel change in both of those positions, a lot more in Ole Miss than MSU. That's just like the facts. But I think, yeah, it really is interesting that no matter how long they'd been there, they pretty much got the same. But I guess it depends on like prior experience. So I guess if we looked and see, like saw where these people came from before mm-hmm. MSU is probably another institutions they also, you know, had experience. So yeah, it's also probably just like the influx of money for certain things. If maybe like certain programs are doing better for some years, they might get paid more. That's so. true. That's true. So in the article, it talks about how Mississippi's three predominantly white colleges have seen their salaries balloon since 2008, and that would be USM, MSU, and Ole Miss. The presidents at Ole Miss and Mississippi State are now paid three times more than their colleagues at Delta State, Mississippi University for Women, Alcorn State, and Mississippi Valley State University. Three times more. They're all managing universities, but also at the same time, you do think about like how big these institutions are compared to others. Yeah, I was thinking, I mean, while those universities are, I think, similar sizes, they don't, they're a little bit smaller than us. Yeah. They don't bring yeah. in the caliber of like no people. Especially since we have two SEC football teams. Yeah, that I think also... all those are technically, I think, Division One. Yeah. But there's lower Division One type schools that have far fewer people. And I think definitely the ones that are being paid the most have the most people. So it checks out. Yeah, the gap between the pay between USM and MSU compared to their other peers is due to increasing salary supplements that the foundations provide to the presidents. So that's what the article says. Meanwhile, we see a stark contrast when we look at pay for teachers and professors. Obviously, they are not making hundreds of thousands of dollars. I don't think it took me and Emma to tell y'all that. No. I'm actually going to talk about an article that one of my writers wrote, Joshua Stewart. He's now the life editor of The Reflector. So this article is called, Startville Educators Discuss Working in Nation's Lowest Paying State for Teachers. Mississippi ranks dead last in 51st place when it comes to teacher salaries. So the National Education Association records Mississippi teachers making, on average, $45,105 compared to a national average of $62,304. So this is just Mississippi teachers, not MSU? Yeah, this is like just regular teachers. We'll talk about professors in a second, but I wanted to give a really stark contrast because we see how people, I mean, elementary teachers especially, they usually have to teach every single class, like for everything from math to science to reading to language, like anything like that. And then, I mean, they have to educate the whole child. So, yes, this is just like actual elementary secondary teachers the whole child not part of the child <laughs> yeah they have to you know raise up the whole child the as whole they child. say as they say uh, and then first year educators in the state take home even less than that receiving $27,851 wow that is not a lot now we do think about the cost of living in mississippi but also that's still not livable. it's still not livable like i don't know what why people keep bringing up cost of living as to why we shouldn't be paid more in mississippi because Everyone deserves to make a living wage. Like, I don't understand the controversy in that, really. If you make that little of money, you're not able to really enjoy Mm -mm. a lot of things. No, and in this article, several of the teachers talk about how their husbands have a much better job that actually helps support their family, and their teacher's income, like, would not be enough money for them to support themselves and their husband and their family. Like, maybe it could support you and yourself if you live in an apartment or something, but you definitely couldn't have a nice house, and or at least an average house, especially in Startville. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you're interested in learning more about that, Joshua did a whole teacher series, and I'll link those down below, um, and you can read up more about, like, kind of the struggles that they face when it comes to low income versus a high cost for education, high cost for living, etc. So in the article, Joshua said, the Mississippi State Legislature last increased teacher pay in March 2021 by approximately $1,000 per year. Governor Tate Reeves and the state legislator are currently exploring a plan that would allocate an extra $3,300 per year to all teachers over the next four years. So $1,000, if we add that to, that'd be $46,105, but first-year educators would get $28,851. And then the extra $3,300 per year, that's pretty good, but it's still like... If we, I don't know, it's still not that good. Honestly, at all. if you make less usually than like forty five thousand, then you usually have to you struggle a little bit because mm-hmm. you really do actually have to manage your money a little bit closer at that area. Yeah. 
So the teachers interviewed in the article state that the current teacher shortage going on in Mississippi is at least partly due to low salaries awarded to educators in elementary and secondary education. So again, like if no one wants to work, it's because they're not getting paid enough to work. Yeah, I saw something. I think I posted this for one of my news story things, uh, what we're reading. And they said that there's like, they're setting up a program that helps kind of pay for teachers educations because of the teacher shortage. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely a good thing. But also, we have to pay them more once they actually become teachers. Oh, don't worry. I made sure to put that yeah, in my yeah, opinion yeah. portion. Oh, yeah. It's never going to be solved if you just start paying for people's education. While that does help with their debt. Oh, yeah. It doesn't fix the problem. Exactly. So now we're going to talk about the university professors pay in Mississippi. So first, we're going to assume that a professor is a tenured professor since they are generally paid more since they have worked for the university longer than a non-tenured professor. There's also associate professors who are not tenured, and then there's like assistant professors and things like that. Those people haven't worked for the university as long as a president, I guess, would. So we're doing more of like an apples-to-apples comparison, like who's been at the university for a longer amount of time. So according to a document from Mississippi State's College of Arts and Sciences in 2015, it says at MSU, a faculty member may apply for and be recommended for tenure by the president during the sixth full contract year of employment to, in a tenure track position. So have to be working there for six years. And then I'll link that down below as well. A document from the University of Mississippi in 2014 talked about the different professor's salaries based on the college they teach in. So this was really interesting to me because I guess I never really thought about how much professors would get paid differently based on what college they teach in. So for example, um, there's the School of Business Administration professors at Ole Miss. They're paid anywhere from $45,000 to $183,600. There's about a mean of $116,000. And then we see in the School of Education, on the low end, we have $59,316 to $82,018, about a mean of 66, almost $67,000. So already between just those two schools, we can see on the high end, School of Education professors, don't even make as much, even though they their starting salary is more than the School of Business. And then we have the School of Law, which does have the highest salaries. Their starting point is $94,840 to $124,735. This is for a tenure professor, so not, I guess, starting point. but hmm. um, And then there's a mean of about $108,000. So hmm. they are definitely bringing in the big bucks. I wonder if that's because of how many students are in each program mm-hmm. or how, how, like, how much popular they are see i wonder that as well and so for this i wanted to note they have the a number of salaries they use to do the average so in the school of business administration they averaged eight salaries to get those totals i mentioned school of education they did six and then in the school of law they did 10. so i don't know why they did such different numbers for everybody to mm-hmm. average it out because you would think you'd want to make it more even i guess but Anyway, so we can already see that there's a difference even based on what you teach. Or it might just be because Ole Miss is known for being a law school and stuff like that, I guess. Or yeah. known for being a med school. It just makes you think. Because, like, most people aren't tenured. Like, yeah. if you look at most of the professors that are teaching at these types of universities, they're not tenured. And oh, even yeah. even if you apply for tenure, it's very hard to get it. Oh, yeah. So, for example, in the School of Education, an associate professor would make $45,555, which is $14,000 less than if you were a tenured professor, already at the low end. And then you could only make about $62,501, which is $20,000 lower than Mm -hmm. tenure. So, just another little bite for you to think about. And then on average, Ole Miss professors received a mean salary of $78,851. I don't know why, but mean salary makes me like they received a mean salary. (laughs) But um, so we can pretty much, I guess I would say Ole Miss and MSU probably pay pretty similarly. I couldn't find a document like this um, for MSU. I'm sure there's one floating out there, but I thought that since this is Ole Miss, we could kind of give y'all a different perspective as well. Mm -hmm. Just to kind of like, you know, spice it up. I feel like... Our universities definitely are probably the top two. Usually you lump in USM with it. Yeah. But it's just the southern one. Haha. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I just think there's been a decline in their enrollment, like enrollment lately. So there's not as much money going through there. So I would think that they'd probably be paying their professors less. I know they've even had 
cuts in the time that they've been going to school. I had some friends that attended there, and they've been starting later and ending, like, shorter. Oh, yeah. I wonder if that's, like, a professor's shortage. I don't know if it's a professor's shortage or just how much money they can afford to keep the lights on kind of thing. Whoa. We should do some digging on that. Fun facts. I had two friends that went there, and that's what they were telling me. Oh, interesting. I thought it was crazy. Yeah. Okay. So now, why the big discrepancies? Why are there such big differences between the teacher salaries and between professor salaries and then between president salaries? So I found an article from educationdegree.com. There's no author listed, but it was fact-checked by a um, professional superintendent or something like that. So it says teacher salaries are heavily influenced by their degree level. They have national board certification and their experience. So, of course, teacher salaries increase according to their years of experience, and most school districts employ a step salary schedule that recognizes higher salaries as teachers gain teaching experience, which makes sense. A bachelor's degree is still the minimum requirement for to have a state license as a teacher, and then teachers with graduate degrees are usually rewarded with higher salaries. And, for example, about a third of states recognize advanced licenses and higher salaries for those who earn a master's degree or higher, the article says. In the article that Joshua wrote, in the series that he wrote, he talked about how a lot of the teachers felt the need to go back and get their master's or their PhD. Um, Maybe not PhD in a lot of cases, but at least master's so they could make a bigger paycheck, basically. So they had to pay more in order to receive more. Mm. Yeah, I came across... It was a Twitter comment section under one of these kind of things talking about the teacher shortages and stuff. And it was a bunch of people talking, like, together on how <laughs> Heather's computer's about to blast off. It's um, always huffing and puffing. It has, it has some stuff. But it was them talking about how they're trying to look for another job because they can't make enough. Yeah. Even with, like, a master's degree, some people. Yeah. And that's kind of what I was going back to saying. A lot of the teachers as well feel the need to have a second job or, you know, leave their teaching um, position or to get a higher paying job, or they have to have a partner who makes a lot more than they do and just just, just to keep up with their, you know, stuff that they have to pay for. We talked about teacher salaries, so now we're going to talk about professor salaries. So the same article, educationdegree.com, it says that post-secondary setting and title are the major factors affecting professor salaries. So like we were just saying, a adjunct professor or an assistant professor or an associate professor, their salary doesn't even compare to the tenure professor's salary at our universities. So even though those numbers we read off, a $20,000 difference, that's quite a lot. Yeah, professor salaries, again, it also, if you get a PhD, you also get paid more as well. I know a lot of my professors got their PhD so they could get paid more even as a professor, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Because you have to have a master's degree at least, but a lot of them got a PhD to go ahead and get that higher salary. So an article by Richard Vetter on Forbes called Are University Presidents Paid Too Much or Too Little? How Would One Know? Kind of dissects this whole huge salary for presidents, low salary for professors. It even kind of went into detail and talked about the differences between Harvard University's president and then there's another president of a smaller college in the same area. And the smaller college president made a lot more than the Harvard president, even though Harvard is literally the number one university. Like, when you mm-hmm. think of a college, like, you think yeah, of Harvard. Yeah. So, it was, like, it was so interesting to me to think about that. And that's not Mississippi, so I don't really bring it up uh, a lot in my research. But if you're interested in just kind of reading about that, you can go check that out on the article. It'll be linked down below, as always. But it's kind of weird because it seems like it's almost meaningless that people are paid certain amounts for no reason, because you would think that Harvard would get paid more. Just like we said, you know, MSU and Ole Miss probably get paid more because they're the more esteemed in the state. But also, like, A, who are we to say that? And B, it's not the case in every state or in every place. Vetter says, the big problem with determining presidential compensation is that there's rarely a well-defined, easy-to-measure bottom line. Unlike with private businesses and things like that, where stocks and profits can provide performance measures, you can kind of get a raise on a normal basis. If you work for a place that like brings in revenue, but schools and, or universities are kind of like, they're considered non-profits, mm-hmm. even though they do like... Even though they do profit. Yeah. But, but they put it back into their community, so they kind of make it, it's non-profit. So. Yeah. So Vetter kind of questions like, what are universities trying to maximize? Reputation or prestige? Good jobs for graduates? Evidence that students are learning a lot? Demonstrated research prowess? Improvements? And all those variables over time? So there's really no 
kind of metric or line of success in college? Like, what are we trying to get out of universities and college? I'm sure everyone has their own personal goals. If you attend college, you probably are like, this is what I want to get out of it. Or you at least have some like idea maybe. But is there an idea as a whole? Like, what should a college or university provide to you? That's kind of what we're talking about now. That's kind of what he's questioning. So you can measure the success of football coaches, he says, and pay them accordingly. And then, you know, if you fail, you get fired. Yeah, we've seen everybody's in a lot of wanting cases. to try and fire Mike Leach right now. I've been seeing people on Twitter. I'm like, God, give him a chance. Like, it hasn't been very long. Yeah. And he's been bringing up the program, in my opinion. So. Yeah, yeah. It's just people are impatient people, or impatient. People are impatient because I think a lot of them were mad about it because of the bowl yeah. game. A lot of people were opting out to not play because mm-hmm. they're trying to get drafted for the NFL. And so they're getting kind of mad at him, but he was trying to encourage them to play. Oh, yeah. He really wanted them to play. He was trying to tell them, hey, if you play, then you kind of stay. Whenever you play sports, you can't really stay in playing shape unless you're actually playing. Mm-hmm. So he was trying to kind of say that. But then you have the same kind of thing, like uh, Ole Miss's quarterback got injured in this bowl game. So that's kind of what they're talking about. Like, uh, we don't want to get injured right before that. So they're kind of worried now if he's going to have the same kind of appeal as he did before he was injured. So... Yeah, yeah. You know, but hopefully everybody gets in happier spirits. Yeah, hopefully we'll win some more. (laughs) So it says, university presidents are rarely fired for poor performance, however measured. Which is kind of interesting because also I really want to talk later, probably another episode, about the Alcorn State University president. There's been a lot of drama concerning her. I read a really detailed article by Mississippi Today the other week when I was getting my hair done. And I thought it was really informative, but I didn't do a lot of research on it for today's topic. But I think that'd be something else to bring up because they're having a lot of issues with her. Students don't really like her. She's kind of doing some stuff that people don't agree with. So again, it's like how, like, what's the line of firing someone, you Mm, know? Yeah. Like a president of a university. Vetter talks about Henry Mann. He was a lawyer and economist before his death. And he thought of universities of having profits even though they have the nonprofit status, as we discussed. And they distributed to the academic equivalent of stockholders, namely powerful people in the university community who determine the allocation of resources. So a lot of fancy money, but basically the university presidents become their bosses of the IHL boards or their like you know equivalent boards in whatever states instead of becoming employees. So the IHL is supposed to be the boss of the president, but in a lot of cases we can see that the president can kind of usurp the IHL mm-hmm. and do its own thing. So that's what veteran Mann are saying in the article. So we still have this big question that remind <laughs> that reminds <laughs> we got something that reminds here. <laughs> What well, is the question? <laughs> the question that remains is, <laughs> I can't believe that came out of my mouth so Southern like that. Oh, get oh it together. Are Mississippi University presidents paid too much compared to professors? And why are teachers in Mississippi paid so little compared to the national average? These are things I was still not yet to answer in my research. <laughs> yeah. great you come back with the bang just sort yeah yeah i mean i think it's kind of hard to compare the two because there's so many more professors than there are presidents obviously Mm -hmm. so it's kind of hard to pay too high of a salary we are not the highest like we're not the richest state no not by a long shot but i definitely feel like there's some areas that we could move some money around in order to kind of help with just the teacher crisis overall you not not be able to pay them these super high earning kind of things but at least enough for people to live comfortably yeah i also just wonder why we pay football and athletic coaches so much money i mean i know we just talked about how you don't you can't live off of twenty seven thousand dollars even in mississippi but also no one in mississippi needs nine million dollars a year no no they don't I'm just saying. But that's just kind of how people are able to entice football coaches, especially these SEC ones. It's kind of hard to find good coaches. But, I mean, I think it's still kind of outrageous that it's that much because, I mean, you do a decent amount, but how much are you actually doing? The players are doing all the work. You're For just, real. I mean, a coach can say so much, but you only can have as good of a coach as, like, you get. If you have poor talent, you're not going to do well. So, I mean, that's just my opinion. But yeah. So that's our question that remains. If anything comes up, hopefully we will see these higher salaries for teachers get implemented over the next four years if Tate Reeves does what he promises. 
But he also won't be in office for the next four years, so we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. We'll check back in with you. We'll ha- see if we get a story up- update on that. Uh, Speaking of which, perfect transition, yeah. Emma. Governor Reeves will not sign marijuana legislation unless legal amount is greatly reduced. This is by Jacob Gallant for WLBT. This is about, obviously, the marijuana episode that we talked about a few weeks ago, the ballot. So Tate Reeves had a big social media post that he posted the other week. So he said, unlike any other drug, this program allows virtually unlimited access to marijuana once you qualify. There's no pharmacist involved and no doctor setting the amount. So he said the current legislation would allow over a billion legal joints to be sold per year in the state. And he does not want that at all to happen. So in order for him to sign on to the marijuana policy or the marijuana legislation, anything like that, he wants the allocated amount per patient per day to be cut in half. And then he said in his social media post, I cannot put my name on a bill that puts that much marijuana on the streets of Mississippi. So again, we go back to the thought that we were talking about with Mayor Mary, how she didn't want marijuana on the streets of Mississippi. Tate Reeves doesn't want it on the streets of Mississippi. It's already on the streets of Mississippi. Yeah, it is. This is not really changing it. <laughs> Hate so, to burst your bubble, but if you don't know this, I feel like you're just ignorant. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like definitely there should be some type of regulation, but yeah. it shouldn't be an overall regulated type thing. It's kind of needs to be more, as he said, there's no doctor or pharmacist regulating it. There shouldn't be a set amount set by the legislature. It yeah. should be a it case should be by a case doctor based yeah. on the pain levels and what they need. Because I don't know. Individual. Yeah, exactly. Because I don't know how the legislation or the legislators would know a person's personal pain. Yeah, like he their said doctor or they want to cut it in half, but like, how do you know what each patient needs? If you cut it in half for somebody that needs that full amount, then like. Come on. Yeah, and obviously not everyone is going to need the full amount, nor are they going to want the full amount. So it's not like there's going to be actually a billion joints that are rolling around Mississippi. Yeah. Like, I'm sure some people won't need that much, won't want that yeah, much. rolling around Mississippi. <laughs> you like that play on words. So another, I guess this is not an update, but there is still no news about if a mask mandate will be enforced on Mississippi State's campus in the spring semester. The current mandate requires masks to be worn in classrooms, labs, and studios, but masks are not required in hallways or in general areas of a building. Emma and I were actually just talking about this at lunch. We were wondering if there's going to be a mask mandate, again, like we used to have, where you have to wear it everywhere inside of a building. Which, honestly, is kind of preferred since Omicron is really heating up. You know, I don't want to be maskless in the union catching something from some of y'all. Just kidding. But, anyway, I I won't be maskless in the union anyway. But we're just kind of wondering, uh, you know. I feel like there definitely will be a mask mandate in the classrooms, for sure. Well, I have a feeling that announcement is going to be coming. Tuition was due January 1st. They are already locked and loaded in if people are coming this semester. They usually like to do that, what they're announcing. They make sure they get all the money before they take hey, actually, we're going to do this thing, this yeah. little thing. So, we're going to test the waters. I have a feeling we'll get, if we do get anything, they'll do an announcement within the next two weeks. So. Yeah, so we'll let y'all know. So, there'll be an update on the update. And, yeah, that's all for that section. Uh, next up is Emma's Opinion Corner. First Yay! one of the year. <laughs> yeah, first one of 2022, everybody. So, we're going to start off this lovely thing with a hot take, because that's what we always do. But this time, I'm talking about Grey's Anatomy. Because I saw something announcing when they would be starting, like, episodes up again. For their 18th season. No! 18. So, my hot take is Grey's Anatomy needs to stop. <laughs> You're correct. You are correct. Yeah, their next episode said it was announced. They did, like, half of their season, and then they're picking back up at the end of February. But they're on their 18th season, guys. This is making them the longest medical drama in TV history. The first, the, the one that like, held the record before that was ER. And they ran 15 seasons. So that's already like an insane amount more. Personally, I think ER is better than Grey's Anatomy <laughs> anyway, but <laughs> that's my two cents. I just can't believe it's still running for this long. And I'm telling you, it could have ended several seasons ago. Oh, so, yeah. This is what I think. I think they should have ended it. Season 14, episode 7, when Meredith won the Harper Avery Award. And her, she called, like, I called from Christina. Alex was still on the show. Uh, She talked about, her mom appeared in the thing. I think something about Derek. I don't remember where he was. He might have appeared in that show too. But it was like a perfect little bow. I (laughs) thought that would be the perfect thing. Because it, like, the whole thing was talking about how she kind of felt overshadowed by her mother. But she finally got her Harper Avery Award. 
So, like, everybody was, like, good. Everybody was happy. Everybody was in, like, a solid ground at that point. But then they were like, okay, that happened. That was pointless. Let's move on. <laughs> and so they basically just, it didn't even hold the, like, like, what it was holding on the show. It didn't really make any difference anymore. It yeah. Didn't, it didn't matter. So I was like, what? Why are we doing this? So then they were like, all right, time to do another three and a half more like of this. So, and I still haven't said that they're going to cancel it, but they have had ratings start declining Ooh. this season. Fun fact. Yeah, I actually have never watched Raising Anatomy, never cared to, because like, ugh. See, I was into it, like the first part of it. And then whenever I was saying about the season 14, I wasn't even watching it full time at that point. I knew a little bit what was going on because my mom watches that show occasionally, usually when she's folding clothes or something. Yeah. It's, she alternates between that and uh, Days of Our Lives. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that was my grandma's show. So, uh, yeah, but it, it's about to that point where you kind of just know what's happening. Or they do something completely out of character that ruins their character arcs. Like they did this thing, there was a stunt that they pulled with Izzy, who was on, she was one of the main, I think, how many of them? Five? Main five at the beginning. Who was, like, that you followed around and stuff. And she hasn't been on the show in so long. Like, it's been a long time. Interesting. And then they just randomly brought her character back in the mix. Saying that she was she had twins with Alex Correa because they dated briefly. And said that they were his. But Alex was fine. He was, like, dating this chick. They had gotten married, I think, at that point and everything. Life was good. And then they bring up that. And it's like, now why would you do that? And then he, for some reason, this doesn't make sense with his character because he moved this far and, like, he had developed so much. He drops that happy life to go with somebody he hasn't seen in years. Wow. And never was even that great with to start. That doesn't make sense. So I, I thought that they would, like, <laughs> end things. Of, like, but how are you going to start destroying your characters like that? I thought when they would do Station 19, which is their firefighter show, they do a little bit of crossover with that. Uh-huh. I thought when they started that up, they would slowly just kind of move it all to that and just have some of the other ones make cameos like they do. But she has, Shonda Rhimes now has them both just going. And it doesn't make sense because the storylines kind of cut away and they do part of the storyline on Station 19 and start part of it on Grey's Anatomy. That's just so confusing. And so, like, you're not even following it if you don't watch the other show. And it just makes everything feel disconnected. Yeah. I have never gotten to Grey's Anatomy because, I mean, by the time I was old enough to start watching it, there's already probably, like, 14 seasons out, and I'm not watching 14 seasons of a show. Sorry. Mm-hmm. If you ever try to recommend me a show that has more than 10 seasons, probably not going to watch it. Especially if the episodes are 45 minutes long. I don't watch enough TV yeah. for that to be, you know, plausible. And then I just, I don't get it. Especially if, since, you know, you're talking about how they just kind of destroy their characters, do things they don't like, or, you know, things that are out of character. Yeah. At that point, like, stop. I know. At that point, That's why shows don't. end at season 9 or season 7, because they don't want to ruin their characters. Because the better shows usually, like, know when to stop. Mm-hmm. And that's just my opinion. Yeah, it's not that people don't live interesting lives after that, but you don't have to show everything. Yeah. Because then you just start messing things up. Because, honestly, normal life is not that entertaining. Yeah. So people are not going to just want to watch them being happy and domestic. They're going to put up issues of things that would have never even happened. Yeah, they have to fill the 45 minutes somehow. Mm-hmm. So. It has to be dramatic. So, I have to say, stop. <laughs> just stop. Stop. <laughs> Wrap it up, guys. Your ratings are tanking. Just end it. Wrap it up. Start something new. I know you got something in there, Shonda Rhimes. Not a medical drama, please. <laughs> Anyway, so that's all for my hot take of the week. Next up, we have my film review. So, I had seen this movie kind of popping up all on my Twitter timeline. Everybody yeah. had been talking about it. A lot of mixed reviews. And I try not to look at people's reviews before I watch a movie because I don't like to get people's opinions in my head and have, like, these preconceived notions of what I should be expecting or how it should be. So, I kind of just scroll past those. She's a professional. I try. Um, but... <laughs> I was like, hey, mom, you want to watch this with me? And then Andrew, my brother, ended up coming and watching it with us, too. So it's called Don't Look Up 2021 (laughs) on Netflix. So it's directed by a guy named Adam McKay. He directed The Big Short, Vice, Step Brothers, Anchorman 1 and 2. 
uh, Talladega Nights, and he was a head writer for SNL for two seasons. Busy guy. Yeah, that was back in the 90s, I believe. So, uh, Yeah, so he's, it kind of took me, because it's, it's a dramedy is what it is. It kind of took me for a shock when I read all that, because, you know, you see Talladega Nights, <laughs> Anchorman, you don't think of serious yeah. things, but this thing was about kind of the end of the world. So it stars uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence. So it's about two astronomers, which are them, at Michigan State University. And they discover that there is a giant comet heading straight for Earth. Casual? Yeah. And so the plot kind of revolves around them trying to inform important people, like the president, played by Meryl Streep. (gasps) Uh, Wow, she's really in all these movies. Get your coin, Meryl. I know. To prevent the planet's imminent destruction, which is actually... They can stop it. Oh. But listen. So they kind of just go into all that and how the politicians and everybody starts responding to this situation. And they have a guy that's kind of a tech module kind of guy. He based off of like, I think he's kind of like a combination between uh, Jeff Bezos, uh, Elon Musk, and who was the other ones that were trying to... Mark Zuckerberg. Oh, frightening. Yeah, it's kind of uh, like if you took... All of them and mashed them together. A very awkward, weird <laughs> guy like that. He plays like the guy that has a lot of influence over the government. Wait, and so who plays that? I don't know his name. Oh, okay. Uh, he wasn't. I hadn't seen him really anything else before, but he was very weird. His voice kind of bothered me. If, just watch it, and you'll know what I'm talking about. He's very just kind of like nasally and soft-spoken kind of sounding. Ah, uh. but he evil. <laughs> Anyway, so, like, he discovers, they're like, oh, so this thing's coming to Earth. And they're like, all right, well, let's look, let's see what it's, like, all about. And so they get some people for, because the United States always saves the world. Uh, they got some U.S. <laughs> yeah, the United States. <laughs> yeah, they got some U.S. scientists to look into it to kind of see what this comet is made of or maybe how they would kind of dismantle it and stop it. But they discovered that it has a lot of stuff on it that is very, like, good and can make you rich. So lots of minerals and stuff. Okay, like but it would like just kill it. And so they have, they were ready. They had launched rockets and everything. Spoiler alert. I'm going to tell you some stuff in the movie that happens. So they launched <laughs> these rockets up. They're already like getting up into the atmosphere. But then once the tech guy, I don't know his name, figures out that the things are valuable, he comes into the situation room. And says, stop, turn it around. And they listen to him. Wow. And he's, the reason that was because of that. Mm-hmm. There was things that were worth value on the comet. Not the fact that it's hurtling toward Earth and literally is going to kill everyone. But it had, it's like, well, that doesn't matter if everyone's dead. Spoken like a true billionaire. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it starts going into that. And it, it just shows kind of how the scientist are annoyed with that. They're like, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> like, yeah. So yeah, it stars, as I said, Leonardo DiCaprio, and Jennifer Lawrence. They're the two main characters, and it also has Meryl Streep, Jonah Hill, Kate Blanchett as a talk show host, and Tyler Perry plays kind of her co-host, and Timothy Chalamet shows up, as well as some random cameos from Chris Evans, Ariana Grande, and my queen, Kuti. They must have had a big budget for this movie because these are a lot of A-listers. Yeah. So, a lot of people in it. And so, it was just kind of a lot. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. I kind of just felt dead after this inside. Because I I thought about it. I was like, oh, man. At the end of it, these... Alright, spoiler alert again. If you're going to watch this movie, don't listen to this part. Because I'm about to tell you the ending. Skip forward about a minute. (laughs) Um, So, at the end... They sure enough, the whole thing, it just blows up Earth. It's not a whole happy ending thing. Nobody ever ends up stopping it. This tech guy says, right when it's about to like come to, he's like, oh yeah, I got this technology that can stop it and we can mine it. These All these things will blow it up and break it into tiny pieces and we can start mining it. Well, guess what? doesn't work. His tech is flawed. He hasn't tested it on anything, really. Mm-mm. And it stops. And so... When about six or seven of the little things, I think there's like 25 of them total, blow up and malfunction, he, you could see him seem like viscerally affected by it. And he just kind of takes his little headset off, backs away, and leaves the room. And then Meryl Streep, president, just says, oh, yeah, I gotta go to the bathroom too. Oh my gosh. These guys 
And that's go, how it ends? They go get in an escape pod. Oh. Along with, I think it can hold like a couple thousand people. Along with them, Meryl Streep forgets her son. <laughs> leaves him okay. in there. She, oh my and he's God. like, she's going to come back. She's going to come back. Meryl. She doesn't come back. They blast off into space and the whole earth explodes. Oh my God. Yeah. So I just was like. What, what happened to Ariana Grande? She died too, I'm sure. Unless oh. she made it on that boat. Not the boat thing, the ship thing. I don't know. They didn't say who all made it on there. Those are the only two that we knew for sure that were going to be on there. So. so it just ends like that? Yeah. And you just kind of feel dead because you're like, well, man, I would have been on Earth and I would have been dead. <laughs> and this is not far from the truth. Honestly. Because all these billionaires have been trying to go to the space lately. And there's no way that they don't have Go to the space. The space. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to the space. The outer space. And... Uh, yeah, there's no way they don't already have a plan to just blow us up and yeah. get out of here. So, with everything that's been going on with climate change and, like, pandemics and everything, it's kind of hard to just kind of sway away from it and not see yourself in this kind of a situation where you're going to be the one that's left on Earth. Especially since they did base it off of actual billionaires. It's like, mm, yeah, you all know, these characters pretty realistic. Were, so, that's one of the things, actually, I talked about, about their costumes. So... All these things were based off of real-world counterparts that inspired each character's wardrobe. So, the stuff isn't, like, very out there or anything. The only one that really wears, like, out there stuff is Ariana Grande and uh, Timothy Chalamet's character has a mullet and wears, like, these shirts (laughs) and stuff. But, uh, so, Jennifer Lawrence's character, she's got, like, very red hair. She's got the very short bangs in the front. And, uh, so... The person that did the costuming for this actually went and looked through, like, pretty much every astro person there is that was in grad school, because she's a grad student mm-hmm. in this, looked through all of them, how they looked, and did kind of a hodgepodge of all of those people. Interesting. Into her kind of look. So this movie's just a big hodgepodge of everybody. Just... Yeah. And so she went through all of that, looked at basically all of them in the world, and she says, what I found was that a lot of them would wear down puffer jackets, jeans, and boots because a lot of these times, these observatories they work in are quite high and cold. And so she kind of incorporated that into her character wears a lot of sweaters and stuff and layers and different things like that. Whereas these special combat boots, the person that actually got it apparently has the same shoe size as Jennifer Lawrence and wore them to break them down to make them look kind of Mm -hmm. used and stuff. That's so cool. Imagine being like, yeah, these shoes are about to be Jennifer Lawrence's. Yeah, and I I have a link below about more of theirs, but I just thought that was really interesting that she went through all these grad school things looking at people just to make this perfect Yeah, she did her research. So I thought it was really cool. And then I have another thing about the movie through the actual director. So this was kind of his inspiration for writing everything. As we already said... It's very similar to real life. So he says, from the director, Adam McKay, it says, It really came from much like Jen and Leo's characters in a movie. Their emotional state, once they discover the comet, is headed directly at Earth. Sort of mirrors how I've been feeling in the past, you know, 5, 10, to some degrees, 15 years about climate crisis. As I see it getting worse and worse and speeding up. And it used to be that it was 100 years from now. Then it was 80. Then it was 50, and now we're hearing that it may only be 10 years. And it's been quite the experience to live in a society that still bombs along like everything is A-OK, while the greatest threat to life in human history is right before us. Yeah. So, I felt bad after watching this movie. It is a good movie, but you definitely don't want to watch it if you want to feel good, because I felt (laughs) bad. Oh my gosh. I was stressed out. I had to unwind afterward and, like, listen to some upbeat music, watch some nice videos of, like, puppies, because it was a lot. Wow. It's been a while since I've been, like, that stressed out by a movie, and, yeah. And it was good. It badly. It was good. It's not the best thing in the world, I would say, but, like, you definitely, it gets its point across, which that's all you could ask for. Interesting. So. I thought it was good. <laughs> I only knew about this movie because Ariana Grande was posting a lot about it on Instagram. I honestly, her character was so annoying in that. But I don't really like her that much, to be fair. Um, but it was kind of an exaggerated version of Ariana Grande, so. Um, yeah, I don't really see how she could play anybody but herself it's or basically some version herself, like that. Yeah. But just exaggerated. So. 
So. Well, on a another sad kind of note. So sorry, guys. <laughs> but it's good. Yeah, we have two crazy stories of the week. I'll save the good one for last so we can end on a positive note. We're, I think we're going to start doing that, Emma. Let's, good, let's start yeah. doing that. So uh, this CNN article, Emma and I were just talking about this. We've seen lifelong friends kill each other. How state capital became one of the deadliest U.S. cities by Peter Nikaeus and Priya Krishna Kumar for CNN. So Jackson, Mississippi has had over 130 uh, homicides from January 2021 to about Thanksgiving time 2021. It is a record-setting year, just like many American cities um, are experiencing record-setting year of American gun violence. And it's just awful to see that it's happening so close by. I mean, we both live, like, within spinning distance of Jackson. Not yeah. really, but, you know, we close live close enough. by. <laughs> and so, you know, there's someone, uh, there's the Jackson Mayor Chokwe Antar Lumumba. He is interviewed in the story, and he said, We see lifelong friends kill each other. We've seen a son kill his mother and sister. We've seen crimes that are based on social determinants and an inability of people to be engaged in institutions in which they thrive. So... In 2021, Jackson had an average homicide rate of 97.6 homicides per 100,000 people. Um, the U.S. average in 2020 was 6.5 homicides per 100,000 people. So to have 97.6, almost 98 per 100,000 people, like that's a huge problem. Mm -hmm. So the article says the rising gun violence has further exposed the city's deep-rooted social and political problems, none of which are easy or tidy solutions. And so we have, you know, everyone is trying to work against this wave, it says, from the city's civic, law enforcement, faith, and street outreach communities. It's competing not just with spiraling violence, but with a pandemic that laid bare all of society's inequalities when it became even more difficult to address them. In Jackson, the police said that there's been 150 homicides from January through December 21st. And this, uh, like I said, the city's homicide rate is 15 times higher than the United States homicide rate. Hmm. Yeah, I got this notification on my phone. It said Jackson, Mississippi, CNN. And I was like, I don't really ever get ones that say Jackson, Mississippi. And I was like, oh gosh, what happened now? And this was the story, unfortunately. Yeah. So in 2020, the article kind of compares, you know, apples to apples. St. Louis was the country's deadliest city and it had 87 homicides per $100,000. And St. Louis is so much bigger than Jackson um, because we had, let's, uh, you know, the article said there has been 150 shootings through December 21st and there's about 97 shootings per 100 people, 100,000 people. So there's really not more than a hundred or two hundred thousand people in Jackson, I would say, like actually in the city of Jackson. Now, in like the outskirts, I'm sure there's probably more people in Madison and Flowood and places like that. But we're talking about the city, and there's just so much death compared to St. Louis, or you know, just even more than that. And they have way more than a hundred thousand people in their city. Um, and so the end of spring 2020 marked the beginning of a historic wave of homicides, which is right when the pandemic really started. I actually did some research about this um, for an article I wrote because Startwell had the first bank robbery in over a decade, and I just talked to the mayor, and I talked to the communications uh, informant of Startwell PD, and they both were like, yes, we've seen a really high increase in crime throughout the year, but just like the gun violence is so, like, it's so sad to see. And the mayor is really worried about it, and he issued an executive order banning the open display of guns in public in April 2020. And he, like, he just, I don't know, it's really hard for us, I guess, to kind of see what a solution would be, I guess. Mm -hmm. Even though I know there are some out there, but I feel like some might not be tested just because of the state that we live in. Yeah, there are solutions, but like all of America, it's probably not going to happen. Yeah. Oh, also the order was short-lived and not renewed, so... Yeah, I never even heard of that, so... Yeah. I didn't think it actually happened. I see people still carrying around guns. Yeah, it so. said in June, a federal judge ruled that Jackson could not ban the open carry of firearms, so I guess that was June 2021. Gosh, I wish they would at least do that. But. Yeah. Because you don't need a gun, I'm sorry, if you're going to go eat or go to Walmart. No, no. You're not going to be some, like, savior of people if there is a shooting or something. It's more dangerous with you just having a gun. Yeah, yeah. It, 
just I really want Mississippi to be known for good things and just like seeing, you know, you got your notification that said Jackson, Mississippi. Oh, I never see anything for Jackson, Mississippi unless it's bad. Yeah, I don't want to feel like when I see news popping up on the national news about Mississippi that it's always going to be bad. Yeah, because we do have positive things and we will talk about more positive things. We have talked about some positive things in our state, but I mean, I don't know. There's just so much and it's really sad. Okay, it's really sad. So next we have a another crazy story. So city Columbus City leaders bury a time capsule will open in 2072 by Stephanie Poole for WCBI. So Columbus, Mississippi just celebrated its 250th year as a city and to mark the occasion, city leaders and also citizens buried a time capsule that they filled with pictures, cell phones, lottery tickets, coupons, masks, hand sanitizer, toys, etc., just to mark the time. I like that they included the masks and hand sanitizer because it'll show, you know, when people open that up, like, whoa, you know, what was going on? I guess they'll probably know it. <laughs> Hopefully that's on. not a rarity at that point. Trying to find hand sanitizer in a mask. Oh my gosh, yeah. So the uh, capsule will be uncovered in 2072 by the next generations to take a glimpse at what life was like in the 2020s. So in recently in October, Columbus officials dug up the 1972 time capsule and they are glad to continue this tradition for future citizens. And the time capsule is in the garden of at Columbus City Hall. I don't know if it's buried or if it's just monumented there. I have not been to Columbus in a hot minute, so... Who knows? It didn't really mention it in the article. But now it's time to wrap it up. We've been blabbing for a little bit. We're a little long-winded today, but we missed y'all. So. Uh, no, we missed y'all. We missed hanging out in person. So hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And uh, we'll see y'all next time. But before then, here is our social media. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at On The Scene Pod. And you can also send us an email if you would like to be a guest, if you have any hot takes, questions, or comments, or if you'd like to be a sponsor, you can email us on the scene pod at gmail.com. We also, are, are we from the reflector or something? I, I think we might be. <laughs> uh, so you can follow them down. That's a very cheesy transition, but you can follow the reflector, reflector-online.com. Uh, Twitter and Instagram are reflector-online. All socials and any links that we talk about are all down below if you guys want to look up those. And that's the end of this week's episode. Thanks so, so much for tuning in. That's all, folks, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Bye. Bye.